COVID-19 has turned the world upside down, and although prevalence may wax and wane where we live, we're going to have to get used to living knowing that it's out there. So we're going to have to develop new routines and habits in order to minimize our risk of getting sick. So we can't eliminate our risk, but we can minimize it. And when developing habits that stick, simplicity is key. So on today's podcast, we have internist, author, and habit expert, Dr. Monique Tello, who has previously been on our show to discuss her book, Healthy Habits for Your Heart. We talk about staying safe in the grocery store, actionable advice we can give our patients to decrease their risk of having COVID-related complications, how to work physical activity into the day, and why we should consider getting a pet. Dr. Tello is a primary care physician at Mass General in Boston and instructor at Harvard Medical School. She practices part-time internal medicine at Women's Health Associates, a small MGH-based primary care practice with all-female providers that serves predominantly female patients. She's originally from the Boston area and graduated from Brown University and the University of Vermont College of Medicine. She completed a MedPeds residency at Yale, and after residency, she earned an MPH and GIM research fellowship at Hopkins. She writes a popular blog, generallymedicine.com, about her life as a doctor and a mother, and contributes to many other blogs, including Mothers in Medicine and the Harvard Health blog. Her writing focuses on work-life balance and a healthy lifestyle. Welcome to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring, a practical guide for practicing physicians. Dr. Bradley Block interviews experts in and out of medicine to find out everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. The ideas expressed on this podcast are those of the interviewer and interviewee and do not represent those of their respective employers. And now, here's Dr. Bradley Block. Shopping for disability insurance can be complicated and time-consuming. Wondering if you're getting the best prices and discounts while in training can make the process even more overwhelming. Pattern believes doctors have more important things to do than spending hours sorting through numerous insurance options. This is why thousands of doctors trust Pattern to help them compare and understand the insurances that they are buying. They do this in three simple steps. First, request your quotes online. Second, Compare your options and ask questions. And third, apply risk-free. Be confident you have the right policy so that your income is protected. With discounts for doctors and training and some relaxed requirements during the pandemic, now is truly the best time to request your disability insurance quotes with Pattern at patternlife.com slash partner slash PGD. Again, that's patternlife.com slash partner slash PGD for Physician's Guide to Doctoring. Dr. Monique Tello, thanks so much for coming back on the podcast. Thank you, Bradley, for having me. And call me Monique. <laughs> okay. So, so you wrote the book, Healthy Habits for Your Heart, mm-hmm. which included the psychology of help, habit development. So let's do just a, a quick intro into some of the keys to successful habit development. Absolutely. So I wrote Healthy Habits for Your Heart because I became very frustrated as a primary care physician I wanted to help my patients to adopt um, just lifestyle changes that would lower their risk for disease. And I couldn't find anything good out there that I could just hand to them and say, here you go. If you just do everything in this book, you're going to be so much healthier. (laughs) So I, I just wrote the book and I just made it very, very simple and straightforward. The first part is about how to change 
your lifestyle. It's basically an evidence-based lifestyle change guide. And then the second half is all of these very small, specific suggestions for habits that people can adopt to help them be healthier. And the main habit changing tenets are going to be things like repetition. So just doing something very simple over and over and over again until it becomes rote. And that's what a habit is. You just don't think about it. It's it's a habit. <laughs> you have to think about it. It's not a habit anymore. So keeping things simple and repeating them over and over again. And that's, I would say, the gist of like the entire first part of the book. And then the second part, you have those specific habits for, for having a healthy heart. Mm-hmm but we need to pivot on that a little bit and and use it more towards developing healthy habits to minimizing your risk of developing COVID-19. Yes. So using those same tenets of simplicity and easily repeatable, we need to figure out what using those principles we should be recommending for ourselves and for our patients. So so what habits can we develop to minimize our exposure risk in a sustainable way? So what do you what are some of the things that you're recommending to your patients? Sure. And I'm going to I'm going to say that there's two parts to this. So first is exposure risk and and that's very important and we have had to here in our in our household really, you know, we've had to drill it into our kids how to not expose themselves to COVID, but also how not to expose others to COVID. I mean, they have a healthcare provider mom who is working on the COVID wards. And if anybody's going to get it, it's me. (laughs) If anybody's going to infect the neighborhood, it's my kids. So really early on in like mid-March, my aunt made a bunch of masks, the cloth masks, not the kind that would be hospital grade, but, but really good enough if somebody's wearing the mask to prevent transmission of a virus they may or may not be carrying to others, it's helpful. So we've just drilled it into our kids. If you're outside of the house in the neighborhood and there's any chance that you could run into somebody on the sidewalk or just around, you need a mask on. And so the kids, they just know if they're going outside, even, even around our yard, because we, have, we, have a neighbor, we live in a neighborhood with like tons and tons of families and the kids usually are like a roving gang, <laughs> but they're, they're not allowed to do that anymore. But but they do. They, they run into their friends and they know now they have to have a mask on. And they're really good at social distancing. Like we've, we've kind of drilled it into them that like, it, and it's not only that they're, we don't, we don't frame it such, you know, you don't know what other people have and they might give you something. It's, we framed it, you might have something that you can give to other people. And, and that really helped their determination to to get it right and they haven't had a problem with this like we just went (laughs) we just were running all around the neighborhood they were on their bikes I was running to keep up with them that's another habit that we have that we'll talk about is the daily exercise but they have no problem with putting a mask on and then their bicycle helmets and then they keep them on and and if even if the mask slips like they'll stop and they'll adjust it because they know it has to cover their mouth and their nose all the time and they're great about it. And they know that if somebody's coming on the sidewalk in the opposite direction, I tell them it's your job to pull over and to let other people go by and make sure there's six feet between you at least. You know, using six feet is just, it's probably not super scientific, but <laughs> at least there's some distance between them and, and other people. And if we run into people, I mean, we try to say hi from across the street. You know, I'm sometimes occasionally having to say social distancing, guys. Remember, social distancing. But for the most part, they've been very good about it. And I think just making it like a hard and fast rule, this is what we do. It's not just for our protection. It's for the protection of others. 
And that's, those are the things that have really helped us to be able to do this as a family. Yeah, I like that. The framing it as it's not for you, it's for other people. I mean, as much as humans in general are more like, you know, focused on the self. Oh, I feel fine. No, I can't get it. No, this happens to other people, Mm -hmm. right? Like the mentality of it won't happen to me, but oh, I could have it be asymptomatic and give it to other people gives them a little more like a little more skin in the game, I guess, for, for, for kids in particular. Yeah. And, and early on when, when I started, so I've been working with COVID patients in, since mid-March in both the, the outpatient setting and then more recently in the inpatient setting. Um, and I just had to sit down with them and be like, you know, there's a risk that I could get this and, you know, hopefully it wouldn't be bad, but there's a risk that you could get this. And the way, what we know about this is that you may not have any symptoms at all but you could give it to other people and you could give it to your grandmother or your grandfather. So we just have to be really careful and this is what you're going to do and it's going to keep everybody safe. So that giving them some control and power over it, like if you're always wearing a mask and if you're always standing far away from people, you're really unlikely to get anybody sick. And, and I think that really helps that they, even small children, they're eight and 10, they get it. Like they have some control over this. This is something they have to do. It's important for them. It's important for others. And it's a habit at this point. It's completely like ingrained. I don't think they'll ever go outside without a mask. <laughs> you're, you're in Massachusetts. I'm in New York. And one thing that I love about the New York recommendation is the simplicity, which is right. what you said about the importance of developing a habit. And they said, if you go outside, wear a yep. mask. Well, what do you mean by outside? Outside, wear yep. a mask. Well, what kind of mask? Doesn't matter. Mask. Outside, mask. That's it. That's all you need to know. If you're doing that, you're fine. If you're not doing that, you're yeah. wrong. Like simple, simple. Outside equals mask, period. Yeah. And I like that about it. You go outside, you wear kind of like you go outside, you put your shoes on, right? You're not going to go outside without pants. Well, now you go outside, you put a mask on. So simple, simple, simple. Are there any other like simple, sustainable recommendations like for instance do you do you do the grocery shopping for your household sometimes sometimes so <laughs> sometimes okay so what's what's your protocol for leaving the house to do grocery shopping like how do you make sure you're minimizing your exposure and the exposure of your family when you go grocery shopping and how do you how are you telling your patients how to do it yeah so all of my patients i tell them you, you really should wear a mask all the time always when you're outside same as we do grocery shopping luckily here we're in Boston and a lot of the grocery stores have done a really good job about sort of enforcing or guiding people. I wouldn't say enforcing so much as guiding people towards social distancing. You know, they've got these spaced out marked areas where you have to wait in line six feet apart minimally to get into the grocery store. They only allow a certain number of people into a grocery store at a time. You know, this is probably happening everywhere, but like um, they're, they're trying to be really careful about it so that people get the message. Even people who maybe are rebelling yeah. against this, they have no choice. They have to wait <laughs> in, the, in the, the X marks the spot, you know, six feet away from other people in line. They have a pretty good idea that they shouldn't be too close to other people in the store. And they want people to just keep moving, get your stuff and get out because nobody else can come in until you leave. Keeping the minimal amount of people in the space and everybody wears a mask. And they usually, a lot of the stores around here offer alcohol-based hand sanitizer, which is nice. So they'll have like those Purell stations all around and sort of be enforcing that. And that's one of our other habits. Everybody has to wash their hands. If they've, I am insane about it. Try not to touch your face if you're out and about. You know, if, if you if you haven't washed your hands, you can't touch your face kind of thing. 
And that's hard. I wear glasses. Like it's really hard not to touch your face if you wear glasses because people know you're just constantly adjusting them. It's just what you do. (laughs) It's it's really, really hard to not touch your face. But once you get in the habit of like, I haven't washed my hands, I can't touch my face, it gets it gets a little bit easier. You just sort of get in that mindset. And that's well, and that's what I'm that's what I'm telling patients with regards to gloves. I think gloves kind of muddy the waters in terms no of gloves. like, I tell people, don't even are they clean or are they dirty? Yeah, don't. Yeah, exactly. That's So I, I have patients that are coming in and they're wearing gloves and I'm don't. like, yeah. I'm letting them know it's hard to keep track. Are your gloves dirty? Are they clean? What can you touch with your gloves? What can't you touch with your gloves? And if you're, ha- if you're using your hands, your hands, they're either dirty or they're not. Mm-hmm. Like you either just wash them and then you know they're clean or they're not. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like, it's it, this, that's the the simplicity. Okay, so are you telling your patients when you go grocery shopping, don't wear gloves, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but like wipe down the groceries, like get rid of the bags. What are you, what's the, what's the protocol there? Again, where we're trying to be simple and because we're going to have to do this for months mm-hmm. and maybe years. Yeah. What's the process? I looked at the literature on transmission of COVID and I wasn't convinced that objects were a major source of infection. Um, My husband disagrees with me on this, but he's nickel. (laughs) So um, he's big into like bleach wiping down things that come into from the grocery store. I personally don't care. I figure if you wash, you wash food normally, like fresh produce and stuff like that before you eat it. Right. I mean, you rinse it, you wash it. You don't need to wash it in bleach. I don't, I don't believe that. I think most groceries, pantry items and refrigerator items are going to probably sit for a while before you use them anyway. So there's going to be time for the virus to die if it's there. And you should be washing your hands before you put them away. So that really should take care of the problem. <laughs> so I'm not a- I, I also think there's an element of, of risk. Like how many people touched a doorknob in a given day versus how many people really touched that carton of milk yeah. before you put exactly. it in your shopping cart. Exactly. Right? Like the guy who put it on the shelf and then the, the, the person who put it on the truck and then, and there was, those were very like spaced out in terms of time. And then you, and maybe one other person. So the likelihood that any of those people put virus, mm-hmm. you know, from their nose or mouth onto that object is very low. Whereas, you know, a doorknob, there's so much traffic, an elevator button, there's so much traffic. So I, I think, you know, for me, at least it comes down to risk, right? You're not trying to, you can't negate your risk. You're trying to minimize your risk and, and that wiping all that's that's not sustainable you can't do that for months you're not going to do that for months you're gonna so if you start slipping up Mm -hmm. that's not a sustainable habit you need to have habits that are sustainable which is leaving the house without gloves making sure you don't touch your face so let's talk about that let's talk about not touching your face (laughs) like how do you break the habit of touching your face like is there anything that you're recommending to your patients about like i don't know Maybe maybe we should be sending lots of the patients to uh, the ophthalmologist to get LASIK surgery now <laughs> so they don't have to wear glasses and touch their face anymore. I know. It's really hard. I, I think, you know, and you're a surgeon, so it's probably easier for you. Like the whole don't touch anything with your hands once you've washed them concept. You know, you don't break sterility kind of thing. But um I'm in a, I'm in a gown and gloves with like lights on me and a headlight like... <laughs> I'm in an environment where I know, and there are constant reminders around me, like I shouldn't be touching anything, right? There's the sterile field. But I'm not like, so I don't really think, I don't know if the surgeon thing really gives me any type of advantage because when I'm in the grocery, I'm not like, you know, I'm not in that frame. I'm not in that place. There's no, there are no cues, mm-hmm. right? So I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to. 
I think that's where the mask is advantageous. And again, the gloves are disadvantageous. I think a thought could be, yeah, find the gloves or a reminder to stop touching your face. Mm -hmm. I tend to think they're more of a false sense of security. Whereas the mask is a reminder. Yeah. Like you, you get up there and you're like, oh, there's a mask in the way. Oh, yeah, I think the mask helps you know, a lot. Because I touched it the really mask. it prevents people yeah. from a picking their nose, which we know everybody does, right? So it prevents people. From doing that. It prevents people <laughs> As an ear, nose, and throat doctor, I can confirm yes, that. I know. Yes, you have the. Evidence. I see the fingerprints in there. <laughs> and from biting their nails and all that stuff, like people don't think about this, but if they have their nose and their mouth covered, it, I think that really helps a great deal. And then just. One thing I tell patients when they're worried about the groceries, because I get this as a primary care doctor, I get this question all the time from my patients. Do I need to wipe down my groceries? You know, do I need to bleach, soak my apples in bleach or whatever? Like, no, because just picture this, like the only way the virus on the apple, like let's say somehow virus got on the apple. The only way that's going to get into you, A, if you touch the apple and then touch your face, like stick your fingers in your nose or your mouth. Um, or if you eat the apple like right away without washing it, which you're usually going to wash the apple just with water. Like that's going to take care of it. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Like the yeah. inside of the orange hasn't touched anything. Except your hands. So you have your hands. Your ever. Yeah. Except your hands. Yeah. So wash your hands. Yeah. Wash your hands and then eat your orange. Yeah. That's a, that's an excellent point. I think more, you know, there's like people wiping down cartons of milk mm -hmm. and, and things like that. Okay. So what about so we've covered leaving the house and going to the grocery store, but what about when you go to work? Mm -hmm. Like you're, let's talk about outpatient first before inpatient, yeah. right? So you've been doing some telehealth. Have you been seeing patients in the office as well, or are you doing strictly telehealth? So I've been working mostly in our COVID outpatient operations, which sounds very much like GERD okay. outpatient. It's very yeah. exciting, but it's not. So we have these respiratory illness clinics evaluation centers, anybody with anything that might be COVID comes in and we see how likely it is that it's COVID. If it is like we can offer testing or get a chest x-ray, you know, make sure that they're okay or treat them if we think it's allergies and asthma, which unfortunately is a lot <laughs> going on right now. Yeah. And we're wearing, we're at, at this point, we're able to wear an N95 for those clinic sessions. Uh, and and that's, that's pretty critical, I think. And we didn't at first, we didn't have them. We were doing surgical masks only for the first few weeks of the oh, clinic. Yeah, somehow not to yeah. get sick. I'm knock on wood. I have not. I have not been sick yet. Haven't been antibody tested. Haven't been sick. So now an N95 eye protection and gloves. Um, the N95 we keep on same N95 for the whole clinic session, and then it gets either or um, recirculated after it's been. Contaminated in this hydrogen peroxide cloud. So you're wearing the whole, the same mask yeah. the whole time. Yep, yep. And and if you need how, to, how straight are you wearing? So for those sessions, it depends. They're about six hours. Yeah, six hour shifts. It was at first it was four hour shifts, and then that was there was too much handoff going on. There was too many docs rotating in and out, so they made them six hour shifts. And it's tight. Those masks are tight. So, so yeah, yeah, I, I, I wear one in the office as well. How, uh, how are you donning and doffing? Or is it just the same gear the whole time? It depends. So, and, and then it's a whole different story on the inpatient wards. But um, outpatient, they want you to just put your mask on and just keep it on. If you do have to leave for okay. some reason and then come back, um, there's a fancy way to take off your mask where you don't touch the front of it because you've kind of had your face and patients' faces and they've been coughing. And so the front of the mask is presumably yeah. contaminated, even though you might have had a face yeah. shield on. 
Um, so you take it off very carefully from the back, the straps from the back, and you place it usually in like a emesis basin. There's a whole bunch of basins around. You can put your name on it so that everybody yeah. knows that's your mask. And then you put your surgical mask on and then go do what you have to do. And then when you come back, you put the mask on very carefully without touching the front of it. It's yeah. tricky, but there's like a way. <laughs> there's methods. Everybody has a method. So what about when you get home? Yeah. What's your pro? Yeah, yeah. So so the clothes I've been wearing, so it's really funny. So prior to this, I'd say like before 10th, if I was going to go see patients in any clinic setting, I'd dress nicely, you know, wear like nice slacks, blouse, whatever, dry cleaned. Um, as soon yeah, as this stuff started, that needs to be dry cleaned. I know, totally. As soon as this started, they were like, wear scrubs or, you know, just very comfortable clothing because you're going to be wearing where the, the gown um, the paper gown or the cloth, whatever your instant is using for it. And you, it gets hot. You know, you've got this mask on and this yep. face gear. It gets hot. They're like, wear a t-shirt. So you're wearing sweatpants. Basically, sweatpants or scrubs. Mostly scrubs. <laughs> I like scrubs. but um, And some people wear scrubs and a t-shirt, whatever. It doesn't. Nobody cares anymore. It's like, it's gone out the window. People show up with Patriots t-shirts, like, <laughs> like whatever. Because <laughs> you have a gown on. It doesn't know what you have on, right? So yeah. That's really funny. But when I get home, especially at the inpatient wards, because I feel like I have COVID crawling like all over me. <laughs> and this is true for all healthcare workers all over and you too, probably. You strip down in the mudroom. <laughs> Basically, like you're stripping down. You hope nobody sees you. Nobody's allowed to touch. Family's not allowed to touch. So I get from work and usually I'm in scrubs or something like really easy to, to take off. I, I take off everything in the mudroom. I, leave, I take off the shoes. I leave them there. I actually always wear the same pair of dance goes. They're like my contaminated shoes. And I don't touch them until I have to like put them on for work again. Strip down everything basically except underwear and then roll everything in a ball, drop it in the laundry, run shower and suds up big time because some I've, I've read this a few places actually that the the lipid layer, the outer envelope protein layer of this virus is very susceptible to soap, just plain old soap, which makes sense. And so just soaping up my hair, anything that might have virus hiding in it, just to be careful, if sure. Yeah. And then after I've showered and dried and I'm like in new clean clothes and everything, then my kids can hug me. But until until I'm showered and everything, they can't touch me. Just in case. Yeah, yeah. I got I got home from work today, and of course, they are running towards me, and I had the opposite response that I always have, which is no, <laughs> no, no. Like get them away, get them. Do any like turn the TV. Actually, what I said when I got home today was somebody turn the TV on now. Yeah. <laughs> That's a very effective uh, distraction. That's the only thing that'll get them to run in the opposite direction. Yeah. Is the is the TV? Yeah. SpongeBob, put on SpongeBob. Okay. <laughs> so, so uh, is it any different when you're getting home from the wards? Although I would imagine stripping down, getting right in the shower, it's hard to get any more dramatic than that. Yeah, no, it's always because it, it's it's it, with COVID, with COVID um, my whole clinic sessions, whether it's outpatient or in, is is just all. Yeah, you're you're dealing with high risk patients either way. It's not like you're seeing most of your primary care patients, your primary care clinic patients. This is not usual times for you. Although I wonder what your protocol will be when it is back to yeah. you're seeing your regular patients yeah. and it is, you know, you might have had an asymptomatic patient or two run through without knowing it. You know, what's yes. the any thoughts on that? Any thoughts on what your protocol might be down the line, maybe a, a month well, hopefully, you know, a month from it's now? It's what we're doing now anyway. So that our clinic largely shut down to in-person 
clinic visits, but, but they still, we still have to see some people. So because I've, I've sort of been, I volunteered to work with COVID patients. Not everybody in my practice is able to do that. So we have some docs that just because of age or other medical issues, like they didn't, they didn't want to be surrounded by COVID. So they're, they're our skeleton crew in, in our clinic. And we screen as well as, as we can for patients who have acute issues. Like for example, I know one of my patients was seen today in our clinic by a colleague because she had a laceration. She had a, she banged her shin and she's got a big gash and it might be infected and she just has to be seen. There's, you, you just, you, you couldn't do that over video for yeah. many reasons. There, there's other complications, but anyway, long story short, she, she came in and we don't know, she, could she be an asymptomatic carrier of COVID? We don't really know. So all patients now, the providers are wearing a mask. I believe they're wearing N95s in, in our clinic. Patient isn't necessarily a COVID patient, just in case, just to be, just to be yeah. sure. And the patient's surgical mask, which is just, it just makes sense. You know, it's, it's safer for everybody. You don't just take that out of the equation. You don't have to worry about it. So it's full precautions, or at least, you know, most, most precautions. I don't think they're doing full gowns and gloves, but definitely the N95, just in case. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a good idea. That's a good idea. We're, we're doing something similar. We're doing, we're doing N95s if you're, say, scoping someone, so it's got, you've got a higher-risk yes. uh, procedure or any, any type of procedure where there might be aerosolization of mucus and a surgical mask otherwise. Mm-hmm. So everyone's wearing a surgical mask and then you'll put you on your N95 if you, and but that's just because they're in short supply. You know, we don't have that many. Yeah, so, we lucked out. We got uh, to ration. probably saw that. Um, we didn't, ha- We again, we weren't using N95s for every even COVID encounter until the crafts flew to China and picked up like a million N95 masks and brought them back yeah. over here, which is great. We're really appreciative. That was, that was a good move. And then all of a sudden we have, we have them. So it's, but they're, they're being recycled. So I don't know if you guys are doing this in New York, but we are, we're, they collect all the N95s at the end of the day and they decontaminate them in this like hydrogen peroxide chamber and then they recirculate. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So what do you say to your patients that come in asking about say, and, and I guess this wouldn't really apply now because they're coming in with these upper respiratory tract infections. But like, you know, when you get back to your office, right? You're back to, things get back to not normal, but we don't have quite the surge that we have. So you, you're back to your office hours and your patient asks you, what can I do to boost my immune system? <laughs> um, now, my, now my thought on this is, well, actually this does get into the habit issue because, right, what are the things that do help the immune system? And you feel free to correct me if I'm wrong, but sleep, physical activity, a balanced diet, and minimizing your stress. Mm -hmm. So all of these things, you know, you can work in habits that can help these things. You know, obviously that's not what they want to hear. What they want to hear is the latest berry that is going to boost the immune system or a vitamin or something like that. So I don't know how you work this into your, what your paradigm is, but, but what is it that you would tell patients that are looking to boost their immune system? Yes. So it's, this is, this is, this was a question COVID, totally, always would get this question and always uh, very often would be accompanied by a link to some supplement that was being peddled on the internet. And they'd say, I want to boost my immune system. What works? And what do you think about this supplement? Like, this is just such a common question. But I I would tie this also, uh, my answer 
answer, I often, my answer to a just basic healthy lifestyle, like that's what's going to boost your immune system. But that's also what's going to keep you from getting cocaine. We know, and, and I really emphasize to patients, like the people that get sicker are people who have a lot of lifestyle related diseases like obesity, diabetes, definitely diabetes are huge. Like that's what I was seeing in the inpatient wards was patients with obesity, diabetes, and then hypertension, heart disease, like a lot of related things. So I sort of put it all together in, in my answer to patients. It's like everything you can do to boost your immune system is going to help prevent um, and tr- or treat, like if they already have these things, like and treat the conditions that would make COVID worse if you did get it. So let's just do these things always. Let's always eat lots of plants. Let's always get lots of exercise or activity. Let's, let's think about how you're going to get more sleep. Like in this sort of leads into a healthy lifestyle conversation. So how are you working it in, in your own life? Because, you know, the way I see it is wake up, kids, patients, kids, sleep, repeat. Yeah. Right. So how are you getting physical activity in there? Yeah. Yeah. So this is welcome to my world. (laughs) About this forever. So we're, we're, we're ingraining in our kids. They have to be active every day. And we've had some rainy days, like monsoon days this spring, and we haven't been able to go outside. So the kids know, like, we're going to put on music and we're going to wait around and we're going to dance. We, we are very lucky. We have a Peloton, which is a very addictive thing, by the way, for people that, that are already have a Peloton. I know what I'm talking about for people who are on the fence and are lucky enough to be able to consider buying one, go buy it. It. Just get a Peloton. It, they're amazing. And the kids use it. I mean, I've got an eight and a 10 year old that get a kick out of this. <laughs> it's like amazing. We have a, we have a room with yoga mats. We'll do family yoga. We'll stretch out. Like it, they know at some point of the day, I'm going to say, what have you done to move your body? And, and that's really the question. Do, do you have, and I'm asking for myself, uh, do you have any particular yoga videos or things that your kids are into because my kids mm-hmm. uh, my oldest is about to turn four oh. and i and, and i have two younger than that so we're all they're very close together wow. and so the four year the, the almost four-year-old is getting it you know my wife found this thing called cosmic yoga which is this australian woman who makes these videos and she'll walk you through these different scenarios and now we're underwater and we're talking to this person let's call him on our phone and she'll like put her foot up to her ear and she goes through these and it's and it's great and it's engaging yep. and he's getting into yep. it and he's you know we're doing and we're doing it together yep. but so do you have any favorite yoga video that you're eight and 10 year old wouldn't roll their eyes at? <laughs> so they actually, what, this is what works for us for the age they're at. They lead the yoga class for us. They tell us what to do and they get the biggest kick out of this. Oh. So they make us do all kind of ridiculous moves and positions and they laugh. Huh. And I'm like, who cares? I'll, that's fine. You, you tell me. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. know the move. So they do yoga at school and it, it's just public school, but they, they do yoga. Hey, like a thing, yeah. and so they know like the moves and get a kick out of it. But my my daughter led also in uh, indoor calisthenics because they do indoor recess sometimes, and they also have to do you know burpees and jumping jacks. And there was one rainy day she led. We just she got to choose the music. We call it indoor exercise class. She chose the music and she chose the moves, and I did whatever she told me to do. 
for 30 minutes and she kicked my ass. I mean, she, it was hard. Oh, yeah. I was so hard. I'm sure. <laughs> it was hard. <laughs> so yeah, I say letting them take the lead and let them direct you when they, when they can, but they get a kick out of it and yeah. it's exercise. It's, it's bona fide. What about me time? Yes. How do you get, how do you get your me time? Because, you know, mental health in the age of COVID-19 is, is going to be a, a huge issue. And I'm sure when you go back to more regular office hours, you're going to be seeing, all, as if you didn't see enough already, you're going to be seeing a lot more. So in terms of making sure you and your patients are, are looking after uh, our well-being, our mental well-being, how, how do you make sure you're incorporating that into the day? How do you make a habit out of looking after your mental health when you spend all day looking after other people? Yeah, it's so critical. And for me, like as a working mom, and I've, I sort of made it through the very little kid stage and I had to learn the lessons then. Like It was hard. My kids were littler um, to prioritize me, but I learned pretty early on, like nobody else is going to do that except me. So I better do that. My trick is often I wake really, really early. Like that's just my thing. Nobody's going to be awake in this house at five or six. I'm not saying I wake all the time, but I'm usually up seven at least, if if not earlier. That's been when I exercise and I'll get on the Peloton or I'll go for a long run and it's really healing and it's really good for me. So that that's one thing that I do. Another thing that I'll do is I work in like little walks. Like I park pretty far away from the office when I go. Mostly like it's kind of a win-win because I get a, a walk-in. You know, it's it's nice. Boston's nice walking city. I'll get, it, even if it's crappy weather out, like I'm getting a walk outside in a pretty nice environment. So building in like exercise, which for me is like me time and healthy healing time. And then the other thing I do is I journal and I write. And like I'm pretty insane about journaling and writing a little bit pretty much every day. And that's usually bedtime after the kids have gone to sleep. So after the kids have gone to sleep, they've been going to bed a little later these days, which isn't a great thing, but they still are asleep before I am. And I still get in my journaling and writing time. And those are the things I have to do. Like, I know I have to, I have to get my outdoor time in. I get my walking and running something, Peloton, anything. And I have to write because that's like when I reflect, that's like when I process. So, so those are things I have to do, but everybody's different. Other people's me time is is might look a little bit different. Yeah, I remember my uh, my sister in law once posted on uh, on a Facebook. Someone had said like, you know, I'm on vacation and I'm doing you know X Y and Z exercise, and she said, you're on vacation. Why are you exercising? It's not that's not oh. vacation. So, but whereas whereas for me, like this is what I look forward to yeah. doing. So you know, for 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 some people, it's you know that. But I think it's also how it's perceived. Like it also depends on the physical activity. Like you got to find what you like. And I think that's another key to to it being a habit is like you found this Peloton thing mm-hmm. that you love. Mm-hmm. That is not, that is something that you're therefore going to look forward to, which then perpetuates you doing it. Yes. So I think it's critical because we, as physicians, we can be, be so prescriptive sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like you have to get your heart rate to X. You have to do it for Y period of time in order to have a good health outcome. And, and, and the recommendation should just be find something physical that you like doing and do it. Yes. And that's exactly it. I was talking to a patient yesterday who feels like she's been very sedentary. She's a master gardener. She gardens. I'm like, gardening's pretty active. I mean, if you're you're starting up a large spring garden, you're going to be hauling dirt around and <laughs> tools and you're going to be like kneeling and getting up and kneeling and getting like, 
you're moving around if you're master gardening if you've gardened and you're doing this at a high level like an hour or more a day that's a lot of activity and she thought about it she was like you're right I guess I'm not <laughs> and you're not yeah and you're not giving yourself credit right. for it and then you'll let yourself do it for longer mm-hmm. you're like you know what this is my indulgence i'm letting myself take an hour today to garden yeah and then if you frame it as also well actually this is also always my this is also my physical activity yeah i'll do it for another half an hour you know what i'm really enjoying myself out here i was going to go back inside but you know what i'll, I'll stay here outside so just fostering that and giving giving our patients that positive reinforcement that 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 stuff is it counts is better than they even realize that it is yeah and, and, then, and then they'll feel better about it and it'll help their mental health because they won't be stressed about the physical activity that they're not doing and then they realize they're doing it and it's i think there's a lot wrapped a lot baked in there a lot of positivity baked in yes there. yes positive thinking and ensure that they realize it doesn't have to be quote unquote a gym workout um, it can be um, like housework. If somebody does an hour of, of vacuuming and bathroom cleaning and that's heavy duty, like that's actually, you sweat doing that. Like I say that counts. <laughs> yeah. I think it, yeah, it's important to, to recognize it's physical activity, not exercise. Right. Like exercise is, is a very specific type of physical activity. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Exactly. But it just needs to be just needs to be moving physical, your body, which is what, how we frame it with our kids too is did you move your body today? How did you move your body today? Well, and there, there were a lot of different recommendations in in your book mm-hmm. exactly 100 yeah. <laughs> actually. Are there any that you can recall from your book that are more relevant now? in the age of coronavirus. Yeah, for so for everybody who's working at home, sitting sitting is still the new smoking. <laughs> and making sure you build in breaks from sitting. So or even try to figure out a standing desk situation at home if you're going to be on Zoom meetings. So many people are on endless Zoom meetings with work or they're on their computer or they're making phone calls. One of the, I have a, a bunch of habits in the book about walking when you're on the phone, you know, pacing when you're on the phone or standing, standing desk or taking breaks during your sitting workday where you get up at least once an hour and stand or walk or move. So avoiding the sitting position when you're at home. I think it's harder when you're at home because you feel like you're at home. You should be able to just sit, <laughs> but that's not good. So definitely paying attention to that would be, would be one thing for the home, the work from home crowd. Yeah. I have a neighbor uh, that I, I have a feeling he's working because I see him walking around the block and he appears to be talking in such a way that it looks like he's taking a meeting. Yep. It looks like he takes his meetings while walking around the Which block. Is so brilliant. that sounds brilliant. I love it. And I think it's it's probably it's gotta be good for, you know, other like your creativity and your mm-hmm. like there there are so many ways I think that that could be more advantageous than sitting at your desk. Absolutely. So it, it's something that people can do. Another is just to one thing that we did, we joined a CSA, which is in my book too. We've never we've never been part of a CSA before. Now, CSA is Community Sustained Agriculture, I believe is what CSA stands for. But regardless, it just means a big, huge box of produce shows up on our doorstep about once a week. <laughs> and, and it's a great way to try new produce and to make sure that you always have fresh fruits and vegetables in the house. And and it's we're supporting a... Um, it's a CSA that popped up because the their the farm's usual customers were restaurants, and they all of a sudden, like within a week, all of their mm. business dried up, and they so they put on their website, you know, we'll deliver to to houses, 
you know, households want to sign up for this, you know, and all of a sudden we're, we're part of this. It's, it's, so we're kind of helping them out, you know, helping out that sector of the economy and we're getting all this fresh produce. And it's actually kind of, it's less expensive than the grocery store. And it's a pretty big haul of like, there was more kale than we knew what to do with this week. Of course, of course, the doctor that wrote a book about having a healthy heart is talking about all the kale she has now. Yeah, it was like bunches and bunches, but we we figured it out. We ate it. It was good. <laughs> I, I had an interview a couple episodes ago with an economist. I it might be a couple episodes ago. Things are getting all all jumbled up now. About you know about shelter in place and how long he expects we're going to do it and. One of the things he had talked about is businesses are either going to be able to pivot or not. And if they're not able to pivot and live in this new existence, then they're not going to make mm. it. And so the fact that the CSA is, you know, previously, you know, they were able to pivot and and deliver to homes in such a rapid way really is a testament to their ability to, yeah. to continue to survive. They found it. Well, who needs produce? Who doesn't want to go to a grocery store? Yeah. like, who do we find? No, not going to restaurants. We'll do it to individual homes, and and I and I think that's that's a great thing because that's going to help people's health, right? It's going to minimize their exposure to the outside, so it's going to prevent more transmission. It's, that's amazing in so many different ways. Yeah, it's a win-win, and and there's definitely a bunch of businesses that have been able to do that. Um, there's a bakery that used to cater mostly to restaurants that's now doing home delivery. It's like a high-end bakery. It's there, you know. I think people are smart. <laughs> Human beings are smart. I'm, I'm hoping that we can come through this with that kind of innovation and and um, and sort of reframing things. Yeah, I think there's going to be there's there are going to be a lot of changes that end up being being permanent afterwards because mm-hmm. we just figured out that this is actually a better way to do it, and that the system had to break in order to uh, in order to discover that. Yeah. So, for healthy habits in the age of coronavirus, do you have any more? Anything that we didn't touch upon, either things that you're recommending to your patients that are simple and sustainable to help them either minimize their exposure or uh, or improve their health, <laughs> given our current circumstances, or that you're doing yourself. Yeah, so um, I'm sure there's some that we didn't we didn't think of. I, I I will say in my book, I mentioned it's one of the habits is to hang out with a furry friend. So the power of pets, basically, and we are adopting a dog. <laughs> that's one of the things that we're doing. There are dogs left. I thought they all got adopted. Like that's become <laughs> such a common thing. I can't tell you how many how many people I know that are adopting pets. So you guys are doing it as well. We okay. are. And I think so how does that help your health? Yeah, so so there are studies that show people They're they're not vectors of illness. <laughs> no, apparently not. So we're we're adopting a, a rescue dog. We we submitted the application and passed the first hurdles for a um, four-year-old greyhound mix named Jeter. And I I know- Like the Yankee? Yeah, I know, I know. It's, it, but we're, we're accepting, <laughs> we're accepting. It's, but uh, we're Patriots and, and Red Sox fans here, but we, we, we'll stick with Jeter because he's respectable. But anyway, <laughs> I think it's going to help us. And I think this is why owning a dog is associated with better health com- outcomes generally. It gets people outside. Usually you have to walk a dog or at least take it outside and throw a ball or a stick for it. And, and a lot of people walk a dog. So you end up walking more and every step you take is, is going to help your heart. And then it, it's stress reducing, you know, just petting an animal or just, you know, talking to an animal. I swear to God, it brings the heart rate down, brings blood pressure down. You know, I tell some of my, my older patients uh, with health problems who can't get out much, you know, consider adopting a senior 
uh, animal from a shelter uh, because it's a total win-win, you know, it can benefit you, benefit the animal. So that's, that's one of the things that we're doing since we're, my husband is working from home a lot and the kids are home. It's like the perfect time to introduce a dog into our family. Interesting. You know, I wonder if there are parallels to that with, that are similar to socialization. Like people that have larger or tighter social circles tend to do better health-wise. And I wonder if having a pet mm-hmm. is similar in that regard. Yeah, well, there is something, right? you know. I'm another person to talk to, another person yeah. to, that depends on you. You know, it's a, it it's a healthy sense. relate. They're non-judgmental. <laughs> the dog, dog is not going to judge you. <laughs> like, you know, um, it's like, it's like, unless you're, pro- unless you're projecting your own insecurities <laughs> and then, then maybe the, do- the dog gets a little judgmental. You did, I you did not see me eat that. I did not. That, what that didn't happen. <laughs> Well, the dog's excited. The dog's just like, give me some cheesecake. Come on. Yeah, I want some too. Yeah, I'm not judging you. I just want some. Yeah. <laughs> just leave a little bit for me and we'll all be friends. Okay. So that that's really that's really wonderful. Well, well, listen, I, I appreciate you taking the time to to do this, considering the world has turned upside down, your life included. <laughs> You're between stints on the COVID wards inpatient. <laughs> so thank you for taking care of all those patients yeah. and giving us some great advice on how we can have some simplicity in our lives and find ways to really increase our physical activity, keep ourselves safe, uh, and all those all those little habits that we're going to need to continue for, for quite some time. Yeah, I think, I think everybody's going to be wearing masks for a while and washing their hands more and using hand sanitizer a lot more. I think it might those might be here to stay and and just universal. And I'll see if I can get my four year old to lead a Zumba class. Yeah. Oh yeah. Trust me, it, it's a workout. <laughs> All right, Monique. Thank you very much. Thanks, Bradley. I appreciate it. That was Dr. Bradley Block at the Physician's Guide to Doctoring. He can be found at physiciansguidetodoctoring.com or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have a question for a previous guest or have an idea for a future episode, send a comment on the webpage. Also, please be sure to leave a five-star review on your preferred podcast platform. We'll see you next time on The Physician's Guide to Doctoring.